great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? It is Shout Late Night Edition. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. And a little bit of a shocker here. Um, I don't think we've spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks really honing in, focusing in on the tight ends. But, Ryan, if if people have listened to our show over the course of the last couple of months, this is something dating back to February that we talked about as a possibility. The Bills trade up two spots. They go out and get Dalton Kincaid. Some people believe, some evaluators believe, the best tight end in this draft. Definitely the highest upside as a pass catcher. Let's go with reactions first. We'll get into the move in a little while and talk to this thing. What did you think? Uh, at first, I, I could see the surprise factor. I saw a lot of Bills fans that I want to say were upset, but they didn't they didn't see it coming. So I think it kind of stunned them at first. But when, when you really think about it, Matt, it made perfect sense. Uh, you get to pick 20 and there's no wide receivers off the board. And then all of a sudden, there's that run on wide receivers and all the top guys go one after the other after the other. So now you have the Bills at 27. And it sounded like, to me at least, and if you disagree, you can uh, chime in. It sounded like Dalton Kincaid was the last player with a first round grade to the Bills. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, if, if they couldn't get him, they're going to trade back. And in front of them were the Dallas Cowboys. And Dallas has been linked to tight ends throughout the draft process. So making a, a you know, a hop over them to get their guy. Yes, you gave up a fourth round pick, uh, but you also got the best pass catching tight end in this draft class. Someone that you can use in the slot. And, you know, I, I like what Brandon Bean said. I'm not going to get too far into this because we'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, how he called him a, a Cole Beasley with a different body type. If he is anything like that, based on what the Bills had in, in Cole Beasley for those few seasons, the Bills are going to be just, you know, they're going to be more than okay. They're going to have a playmaker on their hands. You know, this move goes back to last offseason, and we've talked about this too, where the Bills were trying to find a second tight end to try to put defenses in a bind, right? Like when you have two um, tight ends on the field, and obviously Brandon Bean talked through a little bit how they view Dawson Knox. He's obviously the much better blocker. He can do a lot more things. He lines up in line. uh, Dalton Kincaid probably be outside a little more in the slot, maybe even some do do some things with him on the outside. But it, it, it gives you the opportunity to find mismatches, I think, a little bit more. And that's why I think they've been kind of seeking out this 12 personnel. Quentin Moore is an undrafted free agent guy. He played a lot last season. And I yeah. think they've been looking for this. Brandon Bean brought up a very interesting comparison to the build in Carolina when they were there and what they did with Jeremy Shockey on the roster. They had just drafted uh, Cam Newton. They were looking for another tight end to kind of really open up the middle of the field. And so they went out and they traded for Greg Olson. And then for a while there, those two tight ends worked in unison and it really opened up their offense. And I think in a lot of ways, Kincaid, when you you take the, the Beasley part of this, you look at, you know, I went back real quick and watched his highlights against USC, which is 
uh, funny enough, Brandon Bean said a couple weeks ago, the scouting department sat down in a room together, watched that game. And by the time that they were done, it was like, man, it was like every single play. You couldn't look away because he just kept making plays. And you, he actually turned to somebody in the scouting room and said, wait, is that the same play over again? No, it's just he kept doing that against mm. USC. They had no answer for him because he's such a good crisp route runner and he's so tough to handle in the passing game and so I think adding him to this offense was something that this is re-envisioning their offense and getting a piece in a draft where if you really want to put everybody up against each other maybe they had Dalton Kincaid high enough in comparison to some of these other top wide receivers that it made sense and oh by the way and we'll get into this in a minute this was something they were kind of tracking there in the 20s. And by the time they picked or traded up for the pick, Brandon B was shocked that they were able to get this guy. Yeah, and, and Trace Pardo, I like Swole Beasley for the nickname for uh, Dalton Kincaid, mm. bigger version. I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense when you see the pass catches that were gone. You have this big target. You, you mentioned the USC game. What was it, 16 catches in that game? Something just absolutely ridiculous. He was just all over the field uh, making mm-hmm. plays for that team. But I think that the Bills wanted to utilize the 12 personnel. We we saw it last year. They they signed O.J. Howard in free agency. It didn't pan out. Uh, might have been the two years before. It might have been last year. Jacob Hollister didn't work out. Um, Tyler Croft. You know, the, the list kind of goes on and on. They, they were trying to add these veterans into the mix, and none of them were really panning out. Uh, whether you're talking Brian Dable offense or last year, obviously, uh, with, with Dorsey trying it with OJ Howard. So now you draft the best pass catching tight end in this class and you have Dawson Knox who uh, can be a playmaker as well, who who's tested off the charts in terms of the athleticism a few years ago coming out. It's a great one, two pairing and, and you love the ceiling that Kincaid, Kincaid, excuse me, has, he has uh, the ceiling of a number one tight end in this league Uh, One thing that uh, I don't think a lot of fans realize is this is someone that really hasn't even peaked as a football player. He played flag football growing up, but he only had one year of actual high school football and uh, zero star recruit going into college. And he kind of worked his way through that into a first round pick. So it's quite the story, but he's just kind of scratching the surface, too, on what he can do as a player. And that's kind of the scary thought if you're an opposing defensive coordinator and you have to kind of game plan for this guy because of all the things that he can do. And I feel like a message for the for the that section of Bills fans who are dead set on wide receiver. And I I, I made a, a shed a tear emoji for our good buddy over at WGR, Jeremy White, who is driving the wide receiver train all throughout draft season. And man, I love his Twitter feed during this time because he uh, he's super funny with it all. But you look at some of the evaluators out there and how they kind of looked at this class. And Daniel Jeremiah to me is like. He's one of the you know pinnacle guys, right? He's super connected in the league. He's been a scout. He's done this for a long time. He knows how to evaluate a class. And I think if you go back through the last couple of years and where he's ranked guys, I think you'll you'll come to see that his his rankings they hold weight not only in media circles but in NFL circles. So Dalton Kincaid in his final big board finished as the number nine prospect in the entire draft. Ryan, that is above. Every single wide receiver in the draft. So check this out. Nine is Kincaid, right? The first wide receiver on his board is Jordan Addison at 13. Then it goes to who is, by the way, the third, fourth wide receiver off the board, which is wild. Then the next receiver at number 19, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think is going to be a slot 
type of player in the NFL. So you end up getting a guy that was ranked 10 spots higher than the guy that everybody was really coveting. And I think we just, we didn't view this maybe the right way. And I want to read the scouting report. We can get into it a little bit. Kincaid is a highly productive tight end with exceptional quickness, route polish and uh, run after catch ability. Ding, ding, ding for Brandon Bean right there. And you at Utah, he typically lined up flex in the slot. He is explosive in his release and is a smooth, fluid route runner. He gets up on the toes of defenders before snapping off his route and creating separation. He attacks the ball with his hands and can hold on after taking hard contact. And I want to point this out specifically. This is from Jeremiah's um, scouting report. The first thing when Brandon Bean was asked to kind of dive a little bit deeper into the player that Kincaid is, the first thing he said was elite hands. This is a team that dealt with some drops last year. I mean, Dawson Knox has kind of battled that throughout his career. Gabe Davis kind of a little bit out of character for him this last year. This guy's catching ability really stood out to Brandon Bean. After the catch, he has the burst, wiggle, and strength to break tackles. In the run game, he has more of a shield-off blocker than a physical people mover, but that's okay because they have Knox to block. Overall, Kincaid is a more explosive version of Zach Ertz coming out of college. Hmm. I think you sign up for that. Absolutely. Uh, Lance Zierlein compared him to Zach Ertz. Kurt Warner said there's a little Travis Kelsey in his game. And then obviously, you know, the bigger Cole Beasley, like Brandon Bean said, there's all these comparisons. And at the end of the day, we don't know what the big board looked like for the Bills in terms of the wide receiver rankings. But at pick 27, and I know they moved up to 25, but when you're in those mid to late 20s, how often, Matt, is it that you're going to get the top player at a position? It doesn't happen very often. You know, you have all these wide receivers off the board. No tight ends are taken, and the Bills are able to get their pick of their guy. So for anyone that, you know, is upset still that it was a tight end, this is a guy that's going to play in the slot. He's going to get a lot of catches his way. And would you rather have the number five wide receiver on Buffalo's board or the number one tight end? A lot of these teams that have won the Super Bowl in recent years have had elite tight end play. And Dawson Knox has been fine. He's he's had moments. He hasn't had that elite play. Kincaid has the ceiling of an elite tight end. So based on how the NFL is working these days, based on the importance of having a guy like that can, that can create mismatches, get open, do big things for your offense, I, I think it made the most sense in terms of leapfrogging the Cowboys, who honestly, I mean, it's you don't want to read facial expressions, but they look kind of devastated in their little war room uh, after the Bills pick, kind of stunned. And, and Mozzie Smith is a nice consolation prize, don't get me wrong. But I think the Bills ha- had a pretty good hunch or feeling that that was going to be the direction Dallas went. So leapfrogging them, getting their guy. I-, I don't know how you can't like this move when you really dig into the details of this player. Doesn't drop the ball. Elite hands, like you said. Great route runner. Uh, and again, scratching the surface on what he can become. Prioritizing Josh Allen. Right. That's what this pick is about. Making sure that you're setting him up for success. If you put Josh Allen and Dak Prescott in a room right now on draft night and have them watch this draft and see Dalton Kincaid get drafted and hear Daniel Jeremiah, like you put in your story, say on line, if the league is going to get let the Bills get Dalton Kincaid, they're going to deserve what happens to him. I mean, you, you probably get the similar facial expressions from Dak Prescott. Like, you know, I know that they went out and added Brandon cooks and that's a, a it's kind of a cool deal for them. Uh, but at tight end, there's definitely question marks there. All right, let's get into the, to the trade a little bit and maybe the philosophy as this thing was playing out. So as we're going through, I mean, the, the wide receivers are all there when Seattle gets on the board at 20 and I tweeted it out at the time. It's like, 
all right, this is kind of that hot zone, that that probably area of the draft where Brandon Bean would feel comfortable moving up if he had to. And if they were high enough on J- Jackson Smith and Jigba, at that point, you know how he likes to get aggressive. I think he moves up in that spot. But I think they're also looking at this as like, okay, maybe they brought all four of those wide receivers in that went in a row, which is just absolutely wild. And there wasn't necessarily anybody that separated themselves enough to give up the capital it would have taken to get up to 20. Because I'll tell you right now, he didn't come out and say it, but I think everybody kind of assumed it in the room. Everybody knew, knew that run was starting at 20 or 21. And when it started, it was going to go because that's where those guys were at. And that was the value that they were at in the draft. And so he at 20, he told us was in the mindset that they were trading out of the pick. They already started getting calls about the pick for when they got up and they were planning on moving out of it. But Dalton Kincaid was sticking out on their board. The problem was for Bean and why he was so kind of like looking towards moving moving back was that he ha- he didn't think he was going to get there. And so by the by the time the 23rd pick came up, he got on the phone with the Giants, was thinking about trying to leapfrog Dallas like you mentioned, and then oh by the way, the Giants just decided to come out of nowhere, trade up to get their guy Deontay Banks, and that was a quick pivot to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They get on the line with them. It took a few moments, but they got up, they got their guy and Listen, I think that my big takeaway from talking to Brandon Bean was that, you know, there wasn't really a priority in the wide receiver group. This is the guy that they think can take their offense to the next level and almost so much so that they weren't even really looking at the wide receivers. If one would have been there, maybe there would have been a conversation, but they were already like five picks out. So that would have been 22 after Smith and Jigba and Quinton Johnston went. They were already thinking about moving out of the pick, not even entertaining and I did trade up maybe a 22 to get a Zay Flowers. I think that tells you something. Addison is yeah. one. Yeah, I think it tells you something about the Bills. I think it tells you something about almost every team in this league, though, Matt. I mean, once the Packers got on the clock at 13, I said, okay, that might be a good spot for uh, Smith and Jigba. You know, I finally draft a wide receiver for, for Jordan Love. They leapfrog over the Patriots with that swap. Nope, that doesn't happen. Patriots, all right, Patriots are going to get a wide receiver. Didn't happen. I even thought the Lions, and no, don't even get me started on that Lions draft class. That was those were some bizarre picks. Jamison Williams suspended for six games. Why not get another weapon in there uh, to help Jared Goff? In in the meantime, you have your pick of whatever guy you want. And oh, by the way, whoever that rookie is, Jamison Williams sounds like a nice one-two pairing when the suspension ends. And you have Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously, who's no slouch either. He's an outstanding receiver, but they don't go that route. So the fact that all these teams that had a need for wide receiver passed on them and you got all the way to 20, I think it speaks volumes for how the front offices across this league, Buffalo included, view this draft class compared to a lot of the mock drafts where you had guys going a lot earlier than that. Uh, If you would have told me that two running backs would have gone before any wide receivers, I would have thought that would have been insane, but that's exactly how it went tonight. And that's not to downplay that the, these wide receivers can't be very good. And I still think there are some on the board that can be very good players in the NFL. I just don't think that the media's perception going into this draft matched up very well with the front offices of all these teams in the NFL. It's it's a simple problem of what is helping teams win and be effective and trying to kind of force it a little bit with, I think, the evaluations. I think part of that was happening on the flip side, on the defensive side. You mentioned Detroit. The Jack Campbell, like, late second round stuff was unfounded. 
we it, we come to learn. I mean, Brandon Bean was even asked at the end of his press conference if he had a first round grade on Jack Campbell, and it he, he quickly didn't want to kind of answer on that. I, I I would wonder if they maybe did, and maybe other teams did, and maybe just the fact that draft Twitter and some of these analytics sites downplay the linebacker position doesn't necessarily mean that all NFL front office are doing that. And you know, I think Jack Campbell for most people was the top linebacker in this draft. And there's like a, there's a fall off because it's not a clean, it's not a clean position projection when you're talking about Drew Sanders and uh, Trenton uh, Simpson from Clemson, because they both have kind of different things that they do well also. And they're not that, that prototypical Mike, whereas Campbell, I think elevates because he comes in day one, can handle the middle, did it in college, had production at college over the course of multiple years. And maybe Detroit didn't want to wait uh, too long. And then the other thing with Detroit too is, you know, I know they went out and got Jameer Gibbs. They fill a big hole with, uh, you know, uh, Jamal Williams moving. That offense is already really special. So if they're just, you know, filling in some holes on the defensive side and starting with Campbell, they have five picks in the top 55 and maybe they view other positions in the ranges that they're going to be picking at a better spot. I don't know if you have anything to add there. Do you have anything to add there? Because I want to go in a different No, I, I mean, that's a great talking point. Five picks in the top 55. You, you can, you, I don't want to say it's a luxury, but you can get the top linebacker, the one that you view in, in the first round and you're not afraid of missing out on them on day two. So in that retrospect, yes, I agree with it. And and two, when you get to a certain point in the draft, if you've, you're running out of guys with the first round grade, there's not a big gap between your 20, 22nd prospect and your 42nd prospect. So uh, in that regard, it does make some sense. The one thing that I asked Brandon Bean after uh, the pick was, okay, you trade up to get your guy and obviously you're passionate about it. And when he was asked about the first round grades, he said, us being aggressive and getting up two st- sp- spots, the Bills, tells you what we think of the player. And I asked him, though, going up obviously changes things for you because you had six picks going in. Now you you lose your fourth round draft pick. So now you're going to pick in the second, the third, and then you're going to have a pretty big gap until you're able to pick there in the fifth with those two picks. It probably had to hurt to do that, and it did. And now you're in a in a situation where you're going to probably have to try to move back in the second or third again to add a pick. And he did make a point. They added a pick last year, and it turned into Christian Benford. So they found some talent in spots before. But Kincaid now, I feel like there's there's a little bit of pressure on this pick because you move up again. This has become your reputation at this point as Brandon Bean. And he warned all of us, right? He said, I get antsy and the, the money probably is on me moving down, but I'm probably going to move up. He does it once again. Um, you do it for a player, but what I really like about the pick more than anything else, Ryan, and we talk this into the ground, it is a need. There is a specific plan and he went into it in detail about how they're both going to get on the field at the same time, how they're going to kind of use him in that Cole Beasley role from the jump. And it's something why I even considered Josh Downs in the first round, even though I thought it was a reach because they needed that slot presence. This this player has a day one role, a day one path to playing time and a potential impact player. Yeah, that's well said. You know, a slot receiver, someone to bring in to contribute you were, we're all thinking guys like downs at that point after the wide receivers are, are going off the board, but to Brandon Bean's credit, he he looked at this tight end Dalton Kincaid and said, he can do that too. He has a bigger body. He can create mismatches. If you try to put a linebacker on him, he's probably gonna be able to uh, use his athleticism to get by that guy. If you're using someone in the secondary, he can out physical them. 
great hands, great route runner, not a limited route tree by, by any means. So there was a lot more to like about that pick. And when you really sat back and analyzed it after it was made, it makes a lot of sense for what this offense has been lacking. Uh, it also kind of tells you that, okay, now they, they kind of feel like they have that slot presence. So maybe uh, wide receiver in round two is no longer on their, you know, on their board in terms of what they want to do. It might end up being the best player available, but maybe they want to attack defensive tackle in round two now, and they, they feel like they can do that. And there's still tons of guys out there that position as well. So it, it does also free up a little bit in terms of needs and what needs to get done for this team. Linebacker is still a big need. Uh, or maybe they do really believe in all those guys in their room currently that they've said. Either way, it addresses a need, another tight end, and it addresses that slot role that we thought that they really needed to look at in this year's draft. A couple other first-round observations. I mean, we talked so much about um, Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee. He ends up mm. going number 10 to the Bears yeah. uh, a lot earlier. And this this was always the case. This was always something that potentially could have happened in the AFC East. Um, Will McDonald, the fourth, somebody that you know, I talked about maybe being a target at 27 for the Bills. Um, edge rusher out of Iowa State goes at 15 to the Jets. They really liked him. I saw some. Um, I saw a quote that Robert uh, Sala believes that he is the comp is like a Brian Burns, and if he turns into anything close to that, mm-hmm. that's a huge addition for the Jets. And then Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback out of Oregon, on a lot of people's boards, including Carl Jones, who was on the podcast um, last week or earlier this week. Man, all these weeks now. Um, he had him yeah. as his number one corner, and he goes to the Patriots, who now have their replacement for J.C. Jackson and a potentially really good player. Yeah, really like the Gonzalez pick for the Patriots. Uh, surprised that he was still on the board when he was because there was a run. That set, it, it was very interesting how the cornerbacks came off the board because I thought Joey Porter Jr. was a surefire first-round pick as well, and he's sitting out there still after round one. Really like that pick. For, for the Jets, it felt like a reach to take McDonald where they did, but you and I talked very recently, the bendability, the athleticism. Uh, he had back-to-back 10-plus sack seasons, before this past season where he ended up with five. So he does have a good pass rush arsenal. And uh, if they believe that he has Brian Burns in his game, like you said, then that's going to be a great pick. But, you, you know, one, he he's an older defensive end that uh, position 24 years old. And, and Kincaid, by the way, is a little bit older than what the Bills usually go for. They're, you know, first round picks too. I think he's 23. But either way, it, you know, teams go with their boards. They had McDonald really high. Uh, a lot of analysts are going to kind of scoff at that, but we'll see who's right in a few years. It doesn't take very long to see if the analysts are right or if the teams are right in terms of their picks and, and how they see them fitting into their team's uh, you know, schemes. You know, Another big piece of all of this, the Bills go offense in the first round for the first time since Josh Allen. It also breaks a streak we talk quite a bit about. Uh, Greg Russo doesn't count because it was during the COVID time, uh, so they weren't doing top 30 visits, but this is the first Bills first round draft pick in the Brandon Bean era that didn't come in for a top 30 visit, but they had a late in the game zoom call with him on Monday. He said it went great. They had a formal at the combine and actually that was his last formal at the combine was with the bills. And then the zoom call was his last zoom with the Bills. So obviously both sides really fell in love with each other. And now that, you know, the, the, the marriage is official and Dawson Knox seems to be a, a big fan. He seems to be on board. 
Yeah. So, you know, Zoom is not the same as the top 30, obviously. Get them into your facility, watch tape, really get to meet all the coaches, look at the facilities. But Zoom is still a really good way to interact with these prospects. And it's another layer that teams have in, in terms of getting to know their guys. Uh, and, and like you said, formal at the combine. So I'm sure in one of these embedded episodes in the next few months, we'll get to see their their meeting with him, the final interview there, and then final Zoom interview. And maybe the Bills wanted to bring him in, but they just couldn't because of the traveling uh, conflicts. A lot of the times these players have so many lo- visits lined up that they just can't make it work. So uh, either way, the Bills did do their due diligence on Kincaid. They liked him a lot to do the Zoom, to do the formal interview. Uh, and it's obvious that Ken Dorsey has a role in mind for him uh, or else the Bills wouldn't have been aggressive to go up and get him. One note here on Kincaid, he had a back injury last yeah. season, um, and it was something that you know he was, wasn't able to work out at the Combine, uh, probably actually helped the Bills on that front, allowed him to, you know, maybe if he goes and just blows up the Combine, he goes even earlier in this draft because of some of the things that people are saying about him. Uh, the medical check is... Uh, all clear from the bills on him. So I think that was a huge sign and why they were comfortable and going after him. He actually was cleared a couple weeks ago and actually a doctor's letter was sent around to all the teams in the NFL to show this isn't going to be an issue long-term. Uh, but it, you know, it also shows how much they like him because Brandon Bean has been upfront in the past when he, when they're setting up their draft board, they are really attention to detail when it comes to that medical check in terms of where it kind of positions players on their board. Yeah, so so getting the all clear was huge. Uh, he did say on the Zoom with the media that he feels like he's going to be, be able to come right in immediately and do everything that's uh, needed of him in terms of those, you know, the, the rookie mini camps, the OTAs, everything over the summer. So that's encouraging. Back injuries are nothing you want to just brush off, but the fact that he was cleared is a huge sign for him. And you're right, great talking point about the combine. Um, the, the bills with the, the, the RAS scores, as you call them, um, there wasn't one for him because he didn't do all the testing. And I think he would have tested off the charts, done very, very well. The productivity in his career was there. If he would have tested well at the combine, uh, that probably would have pushed him up some of the boards and, and maybe the Bills aren't in this position to go up and get him where they did. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. So we are sitting here at the end of the first round. 31 picks have been made, and we've got to talk a little bit about day two now and what mm-hmm. this looks like in terms of what the Bills want to go after. But before we do, I want you to get out your cell phone, right? If you got an iPhone, Android phone, whatever you got, you got a calendar app, right? You got to set it up. You, you find the date. I want you to f- scroll to May, and I want you to go to number 20. It's a Saturday. Are you doing this, Ryan, too? Are you are you, mm-hmm. are you pulling out your phone? Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, I want you to find May 20th. I want you to open up the app and I want you to add a save the date for the next live edition of Shout, a Buffalo football podcast from Wingnuts, 700 Military Road. And that's the Military Road location, the Wingnuts, North Buffalo, inside Froth Brewery, the best wings, the best beers, and the best Bills talk because you get to come out, hang out with Ryan and I. We'll talk a little Bills. We'll hang out. We'll be merry. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be right after rookie minicamp. So we'll give you some of our insights after getting a chance to look at some of these rookie Bills players, including Dalton Kincaid. It's going to be an awesome time. We can't wait. The event page is live up on my Facebook page. So search Matt Perino on Facebook. 
give me a friend request. I share articles there. I do some some different things. That's where the event page is going to live. Uh, so RSVP to that. It'll give you a, a, a ping, a reminder, but just put it in your, your date as well um, or your calendar as well. So day two, Ryan, we're, we're looking at starting to turn the page at what the bills are going to look at. And, you know, we might have to go even a little bit deeper than 59 because I do think Brandon Bean is going to think long and hard about maybe moving back and adding a day three pick later on, whether it's a fifth, sixth, seventh uh, round draft pick. I want to talk about some of our dream scenarios for the Bills at 59 if they do stick and pick or some guys that maybe you're thinking about that could be in play. Who? But before we get to that, who's somebody that didn't go in the first round? We'll each give one player that you were kind of surprised at. So I'm going to say surprise in the moment, and I'm going to go Matthew Bergeron. I thought there was a chance he was going to go in the first round because of that run on offensive tackles. Uh, When you saw how quickly they were going off the board, when you saw uh, the Jets get leapfrogged for Broderick Jones and said, man, we're only like not even the first half out of the first half of the draft and all these great um, tackles are going. I thought there was a slight chance Bergeron could have snuck into the end of that first round. I have another name, but I'll let you go before I mention the second name. Not too concerned. I'm not too uh, surprised about Will Levis falling out of the first round because if you paid attention to my first mock draft, my seven round mock for the Bills a couple weeks ago, you remember, Ryan, we talked about this. I had Levis falling to 27, the Rams trading into the first round and picking Will Levis. The Bills ended up going tight end uh, with that pick early in the in the second round. It was Darnell Washington. That obviously was a miss, but um, it brings up the fact like uh, I went on John Scott's show uh, in February. And he asked for a bold prediction. And I was kind of thinking through some different ideas. And I thought that second tight end, because of the value, because of the strength of the position in this draft, I thought it was a possibility. So, of course, a little pat on the back. Sorry. Sometimes when you're right, you got to do it. That's right. It is what it is. So the, the surprise for me is Brian Branch. And he's somebody for me, the safety out of Alabama, when you're talking about best player available, and so many teams spew this. I feel like at this Porsche back end of the, and, and it's got to fit, right? Like it can't always just be best player available. It, you, you're not going to take a safety if you feel like you're good at that position. But this is a guy that I think can come in day one, can start for you, can offer some special teams versatility, can be maybe that third safety in development. And I was actually surprised a little bit that that he didn't go uh, on day one. Yeah, he was the one I was going to mention uh, as my second choice. Branch by himself, first and foremost, is a first round pick in terms of the talent level, in terms of what's on tape of him Two, the safety class drops significantly after branch. So if a team was looking to uh, upgrade their secondary at the safety position, I thought that he would have been in play there. So it didn't happen night one. I'm guessing he goes very early tomorrow night uh, to a team that is needy at the defensive, you know, the defensive back position. So He's a guy that I think won't be on the board very long. One interior offensive lineman tweener went in the first round. That was Peter Skaronsky. Multiple uh, guys that we've talked about on this show are still on the board. Osiris Torrens out of Florida, Steve Avila, TCU, Cody Mock, North Dakota State. I'll lead things off. I mean, all three of those guys, I feel like 
if they're available late in in round two, I think that's when you stick and pick, or maybe even because of the value and maybe where they have them on their board, you might even try to get aggressive. Remember, the Bills are getting a third round comp pick next year. So I know that they're down on picks, but this is kind of like a weak, weak, weak draft in general at a lot of different positions. That was a point made earlier in the YouTube uh, comments. So if, if you feel like this is a weak draft and you want to be aggressive in this one, go up and get a guy that you're really excited about. You might have an, an extra day three pick to play with next year because you're getting that third round comp pick back. So I think that interior offensive line group, I think you get really excited around. And you mentioned it, uh, Matthew Bergeron. He's a tackle, but I think you can play multiple spots. I think they're really excited. I think they've spent a lot of time scouting him because of the proximity to Syracuse. And I feel like you're always a little bit more in the know about those teams because your scouts are, it's easier to get there. It's why I think they've done such a good job at finding some talent you know, mostly in the defensive back room uh, at UB, Cam Lewis, uh, Jamarcus Ingram, uh, they've they've had a couple finds there. Yeah, so all those players would make sense for the Bills, the offensive line, and they want to protect Josh Allen. They did add some guards in free agency. Haven't really addressed the tackle position much, uh, minus bringing back Questenberry is kind of like that reserve vet. Uh, the good thing is after the draft, a few days after the draft, early May, you can sign free agents without it messing with your compensatory pick formula. So uh, maybe the Bills do go back to the well and look at some of the names they've been linked to in the past for competition there. But going back to this uh, rookie class and guys that are still available, I'll go Drew Sanders next. Uh, Drew mm-hmm. Sanders is, is that linebacker that's standing out on the board now. Uh, so uh, if the Bills, one, want to get more aggressive with their defensive scheme, he makes a lot of sense in, in the ways that you can utilize him. Uh, he's not just a great athlete that can can cover, that can go sideline to sideline. He's also someone they can get after the quarterback, and, and you can line him up in a lot of different ways. So he would be a, a player that I could see Sean McDermott getting really excited about. Uh, but again, I mean, the, there's a, the Bills are a long way away from being on the clock again, and the odds of him being there don't seem strong. That said, he definitely stands out on the board. You know, for me, defensive tackle, I know Mozzie Smith comes off there, Kalaja Kansi, Jalen Carter, all off the board. You know, Keanu Benton is a guy out of Wisconsin that I think is super interesting, and what really caught my eye on him was the comparisons to Christian Wilkins. And, you know, we get a chance to watch him twice a year against the Dolphins. So I, I feel like that skill set is so valuable because of the versatility and how even keeled he is as a player. Well, not like emotions wise. He obviously, you know, <laughs> likes to get you know involved in the extracurriculars, but I mean just even keeled in terms of his skill set. Like he's so good against the run. He's disciplined against the run. He's somebody that affects the passer, you know, at you know, with his ability to pressure. And so I think from that perspective, if you're going to add that similar skill set and obviously the size of Benton, there's real question marks. Even if you decide to bring back Ed Oliver on an extension, you're going to have to find some more answers on the interior at that defensive tackle spot. He's somebody that I feel like if he's hanging around at that 59 spot you love it i'll let you get to your next one i got a couple more guys too yeah but defensive tackle does need to get addressed in some way shape or form i get that they have four quality players under contract this year but all of them are on expiring deals so find a guy that you can come in get involved in the rotation and obviously one of the guys that are on that final year they're not all guaranteed to make this final roster Uh, i'll I'll go keon white uh pass rusher uh if the bills want to go that route if they want to try to get someone that can get some more pressure on the quarterback uh, White's an intriguing name that's available sitting out there still. Uh, athletic, big guy. I, I think that the, he kind of fits a lot of the mold in terms of what they may be trying to do here. 
uh, going forward. And with Von Miller being out for a period of time, uh, you, you want to upgrade your pass rush by any means necessary. And White might be someone that uh, would appeal to you at number 59. I was a little bit surprised. Uh, another surprise, uh, Joey Porter Jr. I know the Bills probably aren't looking mm-hmm. too heavily at cornerback with the depth that they have on the roster. You know, Cam Lewis is a sneaky depth piece that they brought back that I think really takes cornerback off the board more for them, even in the later rounds. They're the Bills, though. They have Sean McDermott. I'm never ruling it out completely. But I think Porter Jr., there was a time when, you know, he was the third corner off the board. On some mocks, you'd see him maybe even the second. Uh, so I thought, you know, a couple teams that made the fit there uh, for him, he kind of hangs around. The next person for me is a late addition to the top 30 visits, and that's Joe Tipman. And I think there's some out of Wisconsin, too, or Nebraska. I can't remember. I believe Wisconsin for Tipman. Wisconsin. Uh, he is a center. He can play some guard as well. Um, but they loved him on the visit, obviously. He's somebody that I think you have to start preparing for the future with what you have on the roster with Mitch Morse. And the quicker you can find somebody to be that center in waiting, the better, because I think then you can pair him with Mitch Morse and allow him to, you know, soak up all of that knowledge, all of that starting experience for all these years. Watch how the guy does it. I still think like Butker, this, I don't want to say this this way because I think it's a little bit too dramatic, probably not totally true. But in a lot of ways, it feels like Ike Butker has ascended to the role that he has in the league today in a lot of ways because of Mitch Morse. I've watched up close and personal when they're in the um, training room together, when they're in the facility together and the time just spent on task when the media is around, which is such a small amount of time. They're working together. They're talking together. Butker has been uh, outspoken about how much Morris has meant to him and his career. So to have that for a young guy that you want to develop as a future starter, I think Tippman fits the bill. And I think there's some injury concerns and maybe why he might've fallen down on the board a little bit, but it reminds me a little bit of remember Landon Dickerson, when yeah. everybody was super worried about some of the injury medical stuff on his thing, the Eagles draft him. They already had a center in Travis Kelsey. They put him at guard and he was a big, uh, you know, contributor as a starter at left guard last season for the Super Bowl uh, NFC reps. Yeah. Get, get as much competition as you can in on, on the offensive line. I think that's a great philosophy. Great plan. Before I go to my next uh, player, Bill's mafia, over 250 people watching at mm. two in the morning. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Love it. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver. If they still want to add more weapons to this offense, Hyatt, top 30 visitor, burner, someone they can get down the field and make plays. Um, you want as many weapons as possible in this league because, one, you know, you need offensive firepower to go toe to toe with teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Kansas City Chiefs. And this conference is, is no joke. It, it does feel like almost every year uh, the AFC also drafts one or two of the top quarterbacks in the draft class. And if they pan out, it just adds the amount of elite uh, level talent that this conference has. So the firepower, you're one injury away from needing someone that, that would have to be out there for significant reps. Uh, Hyatt's someone that I really do like. I, I know that there are some knocks against his game, uh, maybe the route tree, the route running, but I think he's a better route runner than people give him credit for. He knows how to use his speed and get behind defenses. Um, five touchdowns against an Alabama defense doesn't just happen by, by accident. He's, He's a player that has a lot of talent, and, and in round two, I think that's a lot of value there. New Orleans Saints snag Brian Brisset, defensive yeah. tackle out of Clemson, right at the end of the round. He would have been a nice target there. You know, mentioning uh, Benton earlier, uh, he he was probably a top. 
12 to 15 pick. Uh, but obviously some of the medical stuff, uh, you know, pushed him down likely in the draft here. I'm going to go with my next uh, shout out for a guy to watch, John Michael Schmitz, who probably is going to go very early in round two. But again, position flexibility. I mean, we were talking to Jeremiah Searles at one point. This kid who's repping him now, former Bills offensive lineman, you play all five spots. And you know how, you know, that gets Sean McDermott going. Like, you know, I don't know how important that is for Aaron Cromer's uh, system. I know that Bobby Johnson really liked that about his offensive lineman. But even Cromer said, like, listen, if you could do multiple things, you you add value. So he's another guy that I think is on my radar. And, and there was Eddie a lot of talk. From North yeah. Ireland. And, and then we have Mark with from the UK. I mean, we're global here. We love it. I love it. Yeah, John Michael Schmitz, though, someone that uh, after the Senior Bowl was even being talked about as a borderline first-round pick. Uh, I, I thought that he played very well throughout the week based on the reports that I read. He was good uh, throughout the week. He gave uh, Darnell Wright competition in terms of being the best lineman of the week there at that practice. So someone that, uh, again, the versatility, the ability to come in probably, you, you could argue the best center prospect in this draft class. It's between him and Tipman. Um, so both of those guys, one or the other would make a lot of sense to have the heir apparent, uh, for Mitch Morris, get them involved in the guard competition as rookies. Uh, it never hurts to have excellent depth along your offensive line. Of the three AFC East teams that had a pick in the first round, who got better? Who's going to leave this draft with just the first round when we're talking about that? Are you going to say, um, that team had the best haul, the best results? that's going to make them that much better? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I'll go with the Patriots with Gonzalez. I, I think that you can make the case that he was, you know, arguably cornerback one or two in this draft class. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he fell to where he did, I love that value. That's not to say the Bills didn't get great value. Uh, Next Gen Stats had the, the Bills uh, getting Kincaid, I think is their fourth highest value of the first round. So tons of value there too. I can't make an argument for the Jets and maybe he pans out as a pass rusher. Maybe he ends up being great. Will McDonald, the fourth, but the value is not there in terms of where he was projected to go, but that's the beauty of the draft. It takes one team to fall in love with the player and uh, it can lead to some surprises, which we, we definitely saw our fair share tonight. Yeah. And it, you know, the real spot that I thought that they could add the Jets was at offensive tackle. And if, you know, you're going to add a add to a spot. You want to stay on the lines, and it obviously appears that Robert Sala believes in the player uh, to go out there and get him. And then it was funny, you know, the Texans have been getting absolutely lambasted for how much they gave up to go up and get Will Anderson. And I agree with that assessment. Like I think it was too much to go up. But if you're D'Amico Ryan's and you've seen how the sausage is made in, in San Francisco, and you know how important it is to build up that defensive line. I don't blame him for going out and getting a guy if you believe in him. Um, Will Anderson, you know, it's it's kind of scattered. Like you, know, I I remember the conversation this time last year when everybody didn't want to talk about any of the top edge rushers in the draft because all they wanted to talk about was you know Will Anderson. And then you go into the, his final season, and maybe he doesn't live up to the hype. But if you're taking that guy, right, like in that t time frame after his whatever it was, sophomore, junior year, 
and you just project it to, or you uh, time warp to right now, and they make that move to trade up, I think that there's a different reaction to it. So I think it just depends on who that player turns out to be. If he's a top five edge rusher in the NFL, it was worth it how much they gave up. And they have two cornerstones now. They get C.J. Stroud. They believe in him. We'll see how that works out. And then Willie Anderson. Yeah, in terms of value of the picks, absolutely they lost out to Arizona. Arizona got much better value. But value of the picks doesn't matter if you don't pick correctly. If you miss on those guys, it won't matter at the end of the day. Uh, if you are in the belief that Will Anderson is a can't-miss generational prospect, which going into this final season, of, you know, 2022 season, that's how a lot of people were viewing him. And, and like you said, maybe he didn't live up to the expectations. But there's still a lot of really good film on him. And you can get him and you can get your quarterback of the future if they pan out within a year, two years, no one's going to be talking about the amount of picks that uh, were given up by Houston to go up and get their guys. You can make the case that they got the best defensive player in this draft class. You can make the case that they ended up getting, I would say this, the second best uh, quarterback in the draft class. You can make the case for it. Um, there, there's questions about all the quarterbacks in this year's draft class. So it's hard to kind of differentiate which one was the clear cut number one, but, I like that Houston kind of attacked and said, we're going for it. We're, we're going to get these cornerstone players because you need to be able to build up in the trenches. And that's what Anderson's going to do. You can't win in today's NFL without a franchise QB. Uh, so they went out, they, you know, stayed put, I should say with that first pick and they grabbed Stroud. So I like it in terms of their mindset. Yes. They gave up too much in terms of the picks and the value, but no one's going to think about that. If these two pan out. Bill's chat in uh, over on YouTube with a great comment here. Uh, that two pick swap in the Rogers trade cost the Jets the last tackle, Broderick Jones, who the Pittsburgh Steelers traded up to get in front of the Jets to take. So if that turns into, you know, I mean, this is lofty, but an all pro caliber tackle. I don't know if that's the ceiling that most are predicting that that's a painful one with the question marks at tackle for this Jets team. I mean, they, they, they needed that guy. I mean, it was almost like a package deal, right? Like you go out and you get Aaron Rodgers, and you figure out a way to put people in front of him to protect him. Because two things, number one, he's not as mobile as he was even two years ago. And also I don't think he's dealing with the hits as well as he did when he was younger. And so how do you limit the hits? Do you get good offensive linemen? I think that is a, a very prudent point and one that I think the Jets are going to probably be aggressive at looking at maybe a Matthew Bergeron here early in the second round and try to address that need. Because the Mackay Becton story, it would be great if he could, you know, even for Bills fans, like you never want like these guys to be busts, right? Like they're people. We watch their stories on the on these draft shows. My wife spends all night set, sending me texts about like, oh my gosh, I just – I heard about Zay Flowers and him being one of 14 kids and I was crying throughout the whole thing. It's like, these are great, like human stories of accomplishment and like, you know, working at something and, and, and you, you, I don't know. I'm I, maybe, maybe some fans are out there like, ah, I don't care. He plays for the jets. I hope he just never, <laughs> never plays well, but um, there's a lot of question marks still with Beckett. Yeah, there are. And that would have been the, the perfect spot for them to take a tackle. But Pittsburgh knew that as well. New England knew that as well. I'm sure New England was thrilled to trade out of that spot and give it to someone that could uh, take that the, you know, the last top tier offensive tackle prospect uh, remaining away from the Jets. So it's all chess for these teams. It makes a lot of sense when you're trying to leapfrog like Buffalo did with Dallas, like Pittsburgh did with the Jets. 
Um, that that's the beauty of this time of year. So yeah, Aaron Rodgers probably sitting there like, man, I go to a new team. And they're still not giving me offense in round one. And the tackle part of it, obviously, there was no one worth it there. But they could have had their first pick of the wide receivers. And, um, you know, they, they have some pretty good wide receivers on roster already, but never hurts to add more. So um, it was definitely a, a surprise when they went the McDonald route. I think the experience with Elijah Moore probably took them off of this specific crop of receivers. Mm and not being able to find a way to figure that out. I know it's a new quarterback, but I think that's something that's interesting. All right, so I want to close out the show. I put out a little uh, gif uh, after the the draft pick, and it was of, uh, I asked Bill's Mafia, like, what's the nickname for Dalton and Dawson? Uh, um, I, I heard one too, but you go first. And it's, um, I put out the Bash Brothers um, gif from Mighty Ducks. Obviously, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be the Bash Brothers because – doesn't really fit because Kincaid is kind of more of a finesse pass catcher. I don't think he's going to get in there and get, get nasty. Although who knows? I don't, I don't want to put that past them. Um, what was the name that you heard that you were like, Oh no, <laughs> someone pitched the double D's. Double D's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the double D's. Dalton. That, that was the, that was the most suggested nickname. Uh, double D's. All right. I don't think that's going to be, I don't think Tony Romo is going to be dropping that on the C- CBS broadcast. Yeah, no, no, twenty six shirts of it either. Uh, DK dogs, killer D's, D and D, double D's, the Cruise Brothers. I don't know what that means. They got double D's, double dynamic duo. Throw some D's on that pitch. I guess that's a European football phrase. Everybody loves a nice set of double D's. All right, Tango and Cash. Jaw ton. I don't know about that. Um, the DK crew, because they're both, you know, both DK. Yeah, DK. There you go. I don't know. We'll see. There's probably gonna be some kind of fun nickname. I was trying to a lot of double D's. All right, so maybe that's, that's <laughs> the way that it's gone. All right, subscribe to the channel. We'll be live once again tomorrow to wrap the second round. If there's a big trade. I know that in my in my mock draft uh, that dropped this morning, I had a little. Fun with the DeAndre Hopkins scenario. Anything happens like that, we'll be live pretty quickly. It's tough to do it down at the stadium, but I'm going to try to do that in in the case that something big happens. Save the date, May 20th, the next live Wing Nuts show for Ryan and Matt. We're out. See you tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.